Well, good morning. You know, I have a sense that it may be that there are some of you here that in the singing of that old Christian hymn, just as God's dealing with our hearts, why don't we take just a moment and close our eyes, just block out all of the distractions. all of your own preoccupations and all of that which would pull you away from the most important thing in life and that is coming to Jesus who is the Savior, uh, who is the Deliverer, who is the Healer, who has left his home in glory we're told in John's Gospel, we'll be looking at that in a moment. And he came in for us to have life. And uh, if you're uncertain this morning that you are a possessor of his life, not your life, but if you're uncertain of whether you possess uh, his life, I just want you to take a moment and Allow the Holy Spirit to work in you. He'll never violate your free will, but yet he stands at the door and he knocks. And for some of you, he's probably been knocking and knocking and knocking, and you have kept him at an arm's length, unsure of what it would mean to follow him, to serve him, to allow him to take up the habitation of his choice, which is your heart. And I just want to invite you this morning, at whatever point that seems right to you, to simply say, God, here I am, without one plea, but that your blood avails for me. Would you invite him into your life would you say to him whatever words are important to you God I've fallen so short I've stumbled I've fallen I've resisted your will but God I come desperate and I come broken to be pardoned and I thank you that that's the full force of the reason for which he has come to die on a cross for you So I want you to know explicitly that you can invite Christ in to be Lord of your life today without fault or all, without embarrassment, without standing, without coming front, without uh, groveling, simply to say, God, here I am. Take me and consume me and fill me today with your presence. For without your presence in your life, I am lost not only now, in time, but in eternity as well. And God, I know that you said for any who would do that, you would be certain to come, to live in us, to make your abode in us, to live through us, that we would no longer live for ourselves, but for the one who not only died, but rose again to make it all possible by your Spirit, in the name of Jesus.
Amen. Would you do that? I'm just speaking rhetorically. Some of you, would you do that this morning? Take a few moments throughout this service and don't let the moments go by where uh, God may want to do something um, unusual, something fresh, something new in your life. Some of you have straddled the fence for a long time, and God is saying to you, now is the time to let go and to let me. Amen. Please turn your cell phones off. Don't be embarrassed. I do that myself. Just turn them on to mute. Um, <clears throat> we've been beginning a journey through the Gospel of John, and uh, I guess Michael kicked that off a couple of weeks ago. Jim Glasgow continued it yesterday, uh, last week, and um, it's been my privilege to continue in that. And I want you to turn to John chapter 1, and uh, just keep your Bible or the one in front of you open, uh, because we'll be looking at uh, specifically uh, verse 14 and following to about 18 or 18, I guess. Uh, but before I do that, I want to uh, say that today is a very important Sunday. And some of you are shaking your head going, oh yeah, and there's probably lots of reasons for which today is an important Sunday. But there's a couple that are on my mind, and uh, uh, one of which is is that on the one hand, today is the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Peoples. Uh, there are people all over the globe who are being persecuted and even killed because of the faith that they have in the one that we were singing about. Uh, there are people who are being persecuted and killed all around the globe by extremist governments, by radical jihadist by other fringe and, and fractured groups of people, all of whom seem to be doing what seems right in their own eyes. So on the one hand, today is important because as we come into communion, I'm going to invite you to be praying for the church, not just here in Myrtle Grove or here in Wilmington, or even the church in North Carolina or in the United States, but around the globe for your brothers and sisters who suffer because of the name of Jesus. Now, on the other hand, uh, today is important because in two days we'll have an election. And in 35 years, <clears throat> I've never spoken on this subject. Uh, some of you may be saying to yourselves, shame on you. Well, I don't take your shame. I try to be led by the Spirit, but I do want to share a little bit about the election that we're coming up. Now you say, how do you connect those dots? A church that's being persecuted around the globe and an election of a government of any nation. And I'm not so sure I'm the smartest one to be able to connect those dots, but I am intuitive enough by the Spirit to know there is a connection between persecution around the globe and people being killed for their faith and governments where those people live. Uh, so the election that's coming up in a couple of days, real fast, lift your hands up if you voted. Put them down. I knew I was talking to the choir here, but... Uh, <laughs> 
But there are some of you who may not have yet voted, and I simply want to say this is an important election and you need to vote. Apathy will get you what you've always, well, apathy will get you what you don't want. Let me just put it that way. Uh, the election that, uh, that we're about to have in a couple of days is probably one of the most controversial elections in our nation's history. I think there were some others that were pretty controversial, but this one, <laughs> this one takes it to a whole new uh, level. Um, the election is not only controversial, but it will define the future direction, or since I'm a marksman, tra trajectory of this nation uh, for generations to come. Um, this election is dividing people like we've never seen before, including uh, Christians, because of what they hear because of what they see, but more importantly, because of what seems right in their own eyes. And uh, it is the question this morning as we begin to look at John's prologue, the, you know, that the first 14 or 18 verses of the Gospel of John. I hope that's open in your Bible by now. Uh, but uh, the question that I think is, is in the backdrop of the writer um, of the Gospel of John, uh, presumably uh, John, is that is there, is there anything else beyond ourselves that has a final word? Is there anything that you can trust in uh, more than what seems shakable around us? For goodness sakes, we even have earthquakes that tear things down. Terra firma isn't very firm. And so the writer of the Gospel of John is asking the, the question, is there anything that can give us a final word? And the fact of the matter is, there is. How do we then walk as um, uh, born again, captured people whose hearts have been captured, men and women who live as citizens um, of another realm, of the kingdom of God, citizens of heaven, if you take the words used in Philippians. How do we live as men and women, uh, um, citizens of heaven, and yet real, live, breathing people on the earth? That's probably the $10,000 question that people around the globe who are living their faith in Christ um, are asking. Well, there is a connection between what happens that we see and who we really are and what we believe. And let me just begin this morning by reading a couple of verses. Michael read this one two weeks ago. Uh, Jim picked up in about verse 12 last week. But let me just, I want to get to verse 14 through 18, but I want to just say that God, through the author, see, the question about persecuted Christians, uh, the issue of how governments will will live their lives and rule their people has to do with, is there anything that is firmer than my own fleeting thoughts? Because there is a way that seems right to a man. But the end thereof is death, says the Proverbs. So our own intellectual abilities can't give us what is firm enough to live your life on. And I believe that is what is at the, in the back office, if you will, 
of the spirit and the heart of, of the, the man who penned these words by the Spirit of God. And he says this in verse 1, in the very beginning, in Arche, before there was anything else, in the beginning was this word, logos, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, we could camp there for weeks, and we won't. Uh, But verse uh, uh, 4 then says, in him, in this, this living, eternal uh, word who was God, uh, John goes on and he says, uh, in him was life. And this life was the light of men. What makes men walk as emissaries of light? Is it enlightenment? Human rationalism, meaning simply our own cognitive abilities? Well, John says, no, there's something more than that. Before anything else existed, nothing was created without this person, this, this logos, this, this uh, one person of a triune God that made one living God, this God, uh, in him was life, and life was the light of all men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness is never going to overcome it. doesn't matter what government you may live under in any nation of the earth. The light of Jesus, whom we come to see, will never be quenched by the darkness. And as you heard last week, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right, the authority to become his children. There is nothing more magnificent. There is nothing more life-changing and relevant than knowing that you're his child. Remember from that eternal perspective when Jesus was baptized and there was a voice that came out of heaven? They didn't understand it. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Do you know within yourself the revelation that the Father who has created everything, that Jesus who has come to live among us, has said to you in your heart, you're my daughter, you're my son in whom I'm well pleased. If you don't know that, that was the invitation that happened earlier. God wants to draw you into his family. I don't care if you're 80 or 90. You can be born supernaturally by the Spirit and have God possess everything about you and live his life within you. So that's the message that that John is communicating. And we then get down to verse 14, uh, that now this living logos, this living creative, uh, this creative word of God, it says in verse 14 that, and this word became flesh. And dwelt among us, and we have beheld his glory, and his glory was of the only begotten of the Father, and this glory was full of grace and full of truth. It says John bore witness of him, the one who came, and he cried out, saying, This is he of whom I said, 
He who comes after me is preferred before me or, or ranks higher than me, for he was before me. And verse 16 says, And of his fullness we have all received grace layered upon grace. Now remember, for the law was given through Moses. See the juxtaposition here? The law requiring your effort was given through Moses. But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one's ever seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has revealed Him. So we have this, um, this it, 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 God who was eternal has chosen to come and, and show Himself off through a human being. Have you thought about that often? That the eternal God that has created everything around us has chosen, he chose to lay aside his place in glory and come and step into a human body that we know as Jesus, born of a virgin. Jesus, little Yeshua, Jewish Jesus. And he did that in order to show himself to people. You see, and we beheld his glory, verse 14. And this glory that we beheld is the glory of the only begotten of the Father full of grace and truth. I think that means that when you see Jesus, you see the Father. And that's what Jesus said in other places. Philip said, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Would you ask that question of Jesus if he were here? Jesus, show us the Father. Jesus said, if you've seen the Father, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, they didn't understand that any more than probably most of us understand it now. But John, the writer of John says, when we see Jesus, uh, uh, we, re- we see his, his, his grace and his glory, and he was, uh, for in this one was, was light and life. Um, if we had time to read all of the New Testament scriptures on how do you live as men and women in the realm of the earth? Well, being a citizen in heaven, we could take the time and go through the scriptures. We would find that we're to live our lives in such a way that, um, that the life of God is seen by those around us. Why? Because in him was life, and this life was the light of men. Verse 3, verse 4, in him was life, and this life was the light of men. If you're feeling a little dim, sometimes, as I do, I wonder about my light. If you will press yourself to go back and ask the question of, what is your life? More importantly, who is your life? Because if you are the end of your life, if you are 
all there is to life. If, if life begins and ends with your rational understanding of who you are, then it is possible for you to be those who will persecute those who have real faith in Jesus. Because those who have real faith in Jesus are of a different stripe. Because that life of Jesus becomes the light that, that we walk in. We, Jesus is the light. And, and we have been made the lights of Jesus. Now, I want to, before we kind of shift and move into communion, I want to talk about specifically this notion of there, when you see Jesus, you've seen the Father, and when you understand that Jesus is the living Word, and that this living Word has come to dwell among us, and we can see something about the Father through this one who dwells among us, who invites us to be His children, we begin to recognize that all of a sudden our feet are on something more objective than what is fleeting, what is eternal more than what is just infinite or what is finite, uh, something that, that uh, is bigger than ourselves. And that is the question that John is, is answering. But let me shift and just talk about the uniqueness of this country, having talked about Jesus, the living word, the creative word, the one who was sent, the one in whom we see the Father. Uh, for the uniqueness of, of America and the other nations that followed suit is, is really pretty uh, Im impressive. For it was, did you know it was historically rare until 1776 that anybody had any say in, how, in their government? Because prior to that, it was presumed to be the divine right of kings to rule. God made kings. And they ruled, and some of them ruled well, and of course some of them ruled really uh, badly. It was an age of kings, it was an age of conquerors. And uh, uh, from 1776, you may remember that date, to about 1850, actually 1848, some 70 years, most monarchies around the world began to crumble. Monarchies where kings ruled. Because there was an experiment that happened in the United States, and they didn't know how it was going to work. Our founding fathers were a mixture of those who, were, who, who loved God with all of their heart and those who had received uh, enlightenment uh, and, 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 and living out of their own resources. But all of them were living in a worldview that, that they believed in, in God, even though all, some, some of them were not explicitly Christian, as we're talking about that today, all of them had a worldview that was essentially theistic, where, where theo is the Greek word for God. Theistic is that God, uh, everything revolved around God who was the center, and that was their worldview. Um, but uh, over, over time, the monarchies of kings began to give way to where men, like the ones that founded this country, uh, began to believe that they could rule themselves because of who they were. Men and women who have seen light. 
at least understood that there was a God. And they began to write things like constitutions, uh, official obligations, and sets of restraints by which men would be um, ruled with law and by constitution. Because until the kingdoms of this earth become the kingdoms of our Christ, which they will, what is the best we can hope for in the nations of the earth? Nations which would at least be ruled by an understanding that there is a God. And brothers and sisters, where that is not happening around the world, where there is not a, a Judeo Christian bedrock and understanding of how to govern people, you will find lots of persecution and killings and beheadings. You'll find deranged understandings of, of religions, quote unquote, that will destroy all of which emerges out of what seems right in your own eyes. Well, anyway, back constitutions, official obligations, and restraints um, where. Uh, where Men with enlightened minds, women with enlightened minds, uh, but theologically informed, began to create laws, absolute, absolute laws, outside of themselves by which they would be ruled, ad, ruled, administered through representative leaders, placed there by a majority of people that were informed who voted for those whom they believed to be wise men or women who would follow this law, this constitution. Lincoln said it best, a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Our government, to be sure, is flawed. And the people who run it are flawed. But it has, I just read through a big portion of our Constitution. Again, I've read most of it, if not all of it, in the past. But it's astounding how they set up uh, a Constitution, drafted, if you will. I really, they sat down and they wrote out this Constitution, invented, if you will, in Philadelphia in 1787, in just 112 days. I have the document spread out in my office on my round table if anyone will look at it. And that constitution that was drafted has lasted almost 230 years. It's pretty amazing. But what we have here is that over time, uh, those who have drafted and created uh, our constitutional government the world views began to clash. This isn't something that's happened in the last four years, eight years, or 12 years. The clash of world views has been happening for a long time, well over 100 years. What do I mean clash of, of world views? From those who were primarily theistic, if they were not explicitly Christian, they still believed there was a God. Even the deist among them, those thought, that, okay, God created the earth and he wound it up like alarm clock and then he departed and is watching it tick. Some were deist. But what they were was they were all theist. 
their worldview was somehow God is involved with this nation. But over time, theism or theistic uh, worldview gave rise to, well, what we call modernism, what has been called modernism. Now, I'm being very simplistic here, but moderate, modernism is simply seeking truth through man's reason. Modern men and women come to truth by reasoning it out themselves. Modernism believes that there is truth, but it's up to man to find that truth. And that seems pretty good to us, those who are enlightened and have the life and the life of Christ in us, uh, but it can give way pretty quickly. And in fact, some 50 plus years ago, modernism, the worldview from theistic to modern has given way to a new animal, a new way of understanding life, a new worldview, a new way that people now see life, which has been called postmodernism. And, and what's the difference? If moder- modernism seeks truth through man's reason, postmodernism uh, it is where man invents his own truth. It's where man plays God, where moral relativism becomes the norm, where existentialism, the present moment is all that there is. From theistic, where God has spoken and is involved with his creation, to a modern view, where men and women figure it out on themselves, to a postmodern view, where anything that you say goes is okay. And that's where we are right now in America. You say, well, if we had better preachers, if we had better presidents, if we had... It's been a slide that's been in the pipeline simmering for hundreds of years. But it's now bubbling to the surface. The clash of cultures is really a clash of worldviews. You see, postmodernism is what followed modernism where you invent your own truth. It's the abandonment of final truth. So why not persecute people and kill them? Why not take their heads off? Because there is no absolute truth anymore. Theistic, modern, postmodern, and now anything goes. Well, postmodernism is the final truth and has dominated most of the 20th century, in fact. Postmodernism has affected everything is affecting everything. Sexuality, the arts, family, gender, education, the military, sports, entertainment, etc., etc. A slide from theistic worldview to modern worldview to postmodern worldview. And, and, and somehow... I think God in his wisdom understood a good bit about that. You see, but, but for he sent his son to show us what was real, what was, what was tangible, what, what was absolute. Is there uh, reality? Now, in our present day system, I'm, just be, I'm objectively sharing what I think and what I observe. We have two political parties, and they have primarily polarized 
and popularized two worldviews. Um, uh, one political party still is holding on to vestiges of the theistic worldview. That there is something that you can stand on outside of ourselves. And another of the political parties has popularized and has polarized into it is a demonstration of the age of reason. It's primarily postmodern. Now, that's just sort of objectively looking now. The question of the Gospel of John is, is there final truth? Is there revealed truth? Is there biblical and divine truth? And how do we know? Well, we, John answers the question, is, is this eternal God who spoke everything into existence has stepped into human flesh like I stepped into my trousers this morning? And we begin to see His glory, the glory of the Father, when we look at the Son. If you're looking anywhere else and not at Jesus, who is the Son, you're going to miss life and you're going to miss light. You will become despondent and adrift on the sea of postmodern thought. You see, the living Word became a man and we beheld His glory, the glory of the Father, or, as some say, or does a man just get to make up his own rules as he goes along about what is right and what is wrong? That's real important. That's a series of questions. And I'm going to land this here pretty quickly. But let me say, is, is abortion right or wrong? You see, that's a moral question. And there are two platforms, as I read this little thing, you know, where, you, where they sort of looked at the political platforms, and they ask those kinds of questions. Is abortion right or is it wrong? Is it right to kill babies and call that the right of the, the mother, or is it wrong? You see, the question will come down to your worldview. Are you primarily theistic or are you primarily postmodern, where you decide for yourself? I'm not saying these aren't large issues, but if you look at uh, Jesus, what you will find, verse 17, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through him. You see, you don't get to live theistically and live just the truth and not live by grace. Nor do you get to just live by grace where anything goes without recognizing there's truth. In him was light and life, and we have grace and truth embodied in Jesus. Now, is same-sex wrong? Is anything wrong? Well, I think the elephant in the room isn't abortion or gay rights or any of those kind of things. The elephant in the room is God. Has God said anything? And how do you interpret what He has said by asking the question, so what, question mark? Does it mean anything? Well, the election that comes up in two days uh, will, slow the, will slow down the postmodern trajectory if we elect a Republican. Uh, if, if we elect a Democrat... It will accelerate the postmodern. I'm just 
telling you what I observe in the party platform. I'm not talking about personalities here. I didn't vote for either of the candidates in the primaries because I saw men who had a higher, what I thought, character and understanding of constitutional law. Uh, however, and th my last point here, is that the election that's coming up in two days uh, will have the possibility of appointing what I have heard and what I've thought myself is probably four uh, new appointments to the Supreme Court. Now, the Supreme Court is the judiciary, one branch of three branches, legislature, executive, and judiciary, where we have some sort of checks and balances in our constitutional form of government. The next president that we elect will have the possibility um, of, 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 of determining the trajectory of this nation for the next 30 years. Now, some of you are still not persuaded. Most of us have already voted. That's, your, that's commendable. That's awesome. But some of you are maybe sitting on your hands saying, I don't like either one of them. You don't really have to like either one of them, but you better understand your worldview and how that plays itself out in the government in which you live or you will lose basic rights. See, Judge Scalia is gone, one of the most strict constitutionalists who, was, who, who died. Um, three more likely to replace him. Let me give you just a couple of examples of Supreme Court decisions that, uh, that are affecting you, uh, three of which actually were won by conservatives five to four. Five to four. That's pretty close. Uh, the religious freedom of business, and you heard of the Hobby Lobby case. Will there be free religious expression? Um, well, that was a five to four on behalf of those who are more constitutional and or conservative, if you will. The Heller case, the right of individuals to own a firearm. Five to four. Those who are more conservatives, one. How about government property, the right to exhibit the cross on public property, five to four? Our historic freedoms, for those of you who aren't yet voting, our historic freedoms, as I've just illustrated and could with more, are one vote on the Supreme Court away from extinction. One vote. So, you see, um, that balance will tip. Now, if you're a postmodernist, you go, yay, it ought to tip. I want women to have the rights to have abortion uh, and, and, and I, because it seems right. There are suffering women, and they make mistakes, and they get pregnant, and, and they should have the right to choose to murder an unborn human being. Let's call it what it is. Now, if, if you're postmodern, you go, yeah. If you're theistic, if you believe there is a God who's still involved, you're going to go, well, no, God said something about murder. You don't get to do it. And you don't get to define it about when it starts, you see? You're either theistic, well, modern or postmodern. Well, I would simply say, 
as we now go to communion, don't get caught up in the individual mudslinging of all of these character issues about the two presidential candidates. Cynthia and I just went to Monticello. We took a week and went up to the Shenandoah Valley and we visited Monticello, which was the plantation of, uh, of Thomas uh, Jefferson. And I was amazed at this man. I don't think he was explicitly Christian. He was theistic, but if you looked at his life, if we had internet, and if we had films, and if we had, you know, sound bites that could have been captured about his life, he, he owned a bunch of slaves. And of at least one of those slaves, we know that he probably fathered numerous children. Now, I'm not bashing one of the brilliant minds who, who penned this constitution that we have. I'm simply saying, he was a man. He was a fallible man. He was stupid at some points, I would say, just like I would say about myself, just like I hope you would say about yourself if the grace of God has given you the humility to say, I can't figure this thing out on my own. I cannot define for myself what is ultimate truth. I need help. And to that point, God has given us help for in this, this word, Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we get to now look at the glory, this glory which is of the Father, and it's always full of grace and truth. See, beloved, as we go to communion, I want you to, as you have opportunities to reflect upon your own life, number one, if you're that person this morning who's never really said, God, I'm tired of me, Do you know that one yet? I'm tired of me. I want you. That invitation still stands, just as I am, without one plea, but that your blood avails for me. Jesus will come into your life and make the exchange. Your petty, miserable, fleshly life for his perfect, holy righteous life. Will that make you perfect? Not in your eyes, and maybe not in your spouse's eyes or in the lives of your friends, but it will make you holy and blameless and above reproach in the eyes of God who has sent his son. Don't miss this opportunity to say, God, here I am. Secondly, would you pray for those who are being persecuted for their faith around the globe? And thirdly, would you vote, if you've not already done so, to abdicate responsibility in a representative government is irresponsible? I already voted, fortunately. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, thank you for, for this day. Thank you that your word is clear and that, Jesus, you are light and you are life and you've come to live among us. Thank you that in the fullness of time you made your way by way of journey to a cross and on it you died for me.
and for each one of us. And remembering that, that life, Jesus, on that night in which he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Would you do this? Every time that you do this, would you do this in remembrance of me? What I did for your sin and who I am, your very life. And after he had eaten with his disciples, he took the cup and pouring it out, he said, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. As often as you drink of this, this juice, this wine, would you do that in remembrance of me? Elders, would you come? And Father, now as we take these last few moments of our time, would you take these elements that are but common elements and would you use them so that we might contact afresh the real spiritual life of Jesus.